the Pro Wrestling Bowl. 35 short stories, including Harley Race, Ricky Morton, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 300 photos from the independent scene. Taken from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Get your book today by going to WrestleVille.com or LanceByChance.com. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. Welcome back for episode 171 of the Working Fans Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume 1 and Lance by Chance, written by Vinny Barry, available at WrestleVille.com. You can find all of the following books available on Amazon.com, including Super Vows and Pas de Deux, written by friend of the show Kevin Kelton, that me and AJ also star on the More Perfect Union podcast. I'll be here all week, and all that's left written by Ward Anderson. Friend of the show, Brian R. Solomon, wrote Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. Pat Oates wrote How Not to Suck at Comedy. Matt Memories by John Arezzi and Greg Oliver. The great people over at Connecticut People Records. Our wrestling commentary home of New Heights Wrestling. And today, we got the man called Dave. And AJ Strange Brew, and we're going to tackle what I find is an interesting topic. Dave, why don't you tell them what you decided on for this week? Yes! Uh, I was saying to the boys that we should start doing a thing about favorite years in pro wrestling. And uh, one of the years I'm excited to talk about at some point, uh, I think we'll probably end up doing this first, but uh, 1937. It's not 37. I don't think we'll ever get to 37. But I just think, what basically, like, you know, what do we like talking about, right? And I think, like, Joe, you got some uh, lists from some people today. I got some uh, a few lists, too. It wasn't like a usual 531 or anything. We just asked me, what were your favorite years in wrestling? And one of the things you'll typically find is that people are going to tell you stuff that happened in that year that they remember. Because that's why it's like one of their favorite years. Like, if you're super into this, you grew up on it. It's like you got that connection. And for me, it's 84. It's just, you know, like, we'll talk about that a little bit today, but not too much because that's coming up. That's what it is. I just wanted something that we could all be kind of passionate about. Uh, maybe we won't be passionate about every single year. But, you know, like, we all have different years that we just really love this stuff. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of get into it, maybe see what wrestlers were on top that year, what storylines were going on, and some of the events that might have been happening. Yeah, I find it hard to pin down like a specific year that I like. When I was looking at time frames, I've got like late 80s, 85 to 89, and then kind of that early to mid 90s WWF. And then 2018 to now, because it's kind of when I started getting in heavier. And then just to see where wrestling is now is interesting. Now, Randy Osgo bringing us an early question because NWA Hard Times 3 tomorrow night, if I'm not mistaken. And Nick Aldis yes. and the NWA seems like they're parting ways. 
he was fired and then kicked off of the pop or the pay-per-view. Well, he made comments about the fact that his contract was coming to an end at the end of the year. And he talked about the fact that he wasn't re-signing because he's not happy with the direction of the NWA. So the NWA responded by suspending him and kicking him off of the pay-per-view. It's incredible how that suspension will work with only two months left to his contract. I'm sure he's absolutely just mortified that that would happen. Fix my microphone, Randy. Thank you. These motherfuckers were just gonna let me go on, not say a word. Like, no, you I was, sound good, man. I was thinking, well, I just heard you. I'm like, is he sound a little low? And uh, then next thing I know, I actually I had a problem with the internet for a second. So if you looked at me, I was kind of frozen. So <laughs> and I, I came thought, back I thought, and Randy was I like, thought, Joe, you sound like shit. <laughs> I thought you were just going Barry White on the shit, so <laughs> I was gotta say something, but back to favorite years in wrestling. 1990, 1993 WCW, I think we can all agree, is the greatest year in the history of wrestling. That is not true. <laughs> it's interesting. I, like 93, like I do remember 93 without even like looking anything up. Like I want to say that's if I'm, if I'm off, Harlem Heat is in WCW around that time. Like William Regal is in there. He's probably already in his television title reign. Did uh, Harlem Heat lose the chains yet? I think uh, that was when they actually showed up for the first time was 1993. Yeah, it depends. If they, they show probably I, had the chains. They probably did in 93, yeah. Oof. Randy, well, I was going to get to yeah. that later. Harlem <laughs> Heat did not show up in 1998. By then, they were already separated. Uh, Randy, <laughs> you're way off on that. I'm sorry. Now, I'm amazed that you guys can pick specific years. Like I just remember eras. Like Ryan Damon from the Mothership Facebook group. As 1988, and he said because it was his first year. Yeah. Paul Lucas responded with, he may have seen a little sooner, but SummerSlam 88 was his first big show. I remember a lot of the 80s WWF from the Coliseum videos. I'd read a lot of the Survivor Series, the Royal Rumbles. I think me and Dave will both agree that the reason why 84 is such a big year for us is that not only did you have what was going on in the NWA, but you had the transition from the Backlund era into the Hulk Hogan era. And that's why 84 sticks out to us so much is it's just that transition into the wrestling that we knew in our childhood. 84, Hogan won the title. Again, not even looking this up. January of that year. I should just for giggles have when you look it up. I've, I want to say it's January 23rd um, against the Iron Sheik, Madison Square Garden. And I remember hearing about it on like the superstars. I think it, was, it wasn't superstars yet, but it was like one of their TV shows. And they said, Hulk Hogan won the title. And that's how they would just announce it sometimes. And then maybe you get footage a little bit later and they show you the footage of like the leg drop and stuff. And it's like, it's so different than now. This well, was it was also. You said? Yeah, January 84, Hulk Hogan won the title from Iron Sheik. The specific date, I think, was 23rd. I could be off. That would either be Superstars or I believe All-Star Wrestling. Hogan won it at the Garden. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what show, but I remember those were like the two big syndicated shows, I think. Okay, but... But here's the crazy thing, and some of you kids won't understand this. You had to actually really work to find the footage. You had to find like an old, you had to find like a VHS tape. You had to really work to find the footage of Hogan beating the Iron Sheik. Because if it wasn't, if you weren't in an area where it showed at a time when you could see it, 
you couldn't DVR it. You couldn't look it up on the Google. You could. You didn't have 16 friends to share it with you on God knows what app. You had to actually really try to find it. If anything, you got lucky and you saw a photo of it three months later in PW Illustrated and PWI. I remember just being excited when I found wrestling shows like on other channels. And like I was just talking about it with the guys from uh, A to the K the other day. So I remember like I like this is why I don't understand why people like hate one organization or love it. Like just don't watch the shit if you don't like it, whatever. But like I remember being so like, okay, I was a WWF guy, I was an NWA guy, I was an AWA guy before NWA guy, actually, because I found them first. And then like one day out of nowhere, we get Mid South UWF with Bill Watts on it for a little while. And that was like Mind blown. Like, this was the best wrestling I was could ever watch. Another one that was similar to that was I would get uh, ICW, which was run by the Savaldis. Yes. And they would get some of the in some of the NWA talent in there, but they would also get, like, oddities because they weren't necessarily in an NWA territory. You would get different wrestlers that didn't necessarily make sense. So you're sitting here, if you're an NWA guy or a WWF guy, and you're going, wait a minute, how can these guys both be on the same show? So let me talk to you about a problem I had as a kid. This is very unique, and I'm just remembering this now. I remember noticing that certain wrestlers only wrestled for certain companies, right? Like it was their WWF, AWA. But sometimes AWA and NWA would work together, and then sometimes they would show tape stuff from years ago too, especially AWA would do that. And I remember being very confused, like, oh, 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 that's old. Okay. But then they would talk like Ric Flair is coming. And I'm like, is that a mistake? Like, what do you mean Ric Flair is coming to the AEW? Like, what's going on? Like, that can't be right. And I, just, I didn't want to like, no, you wrestle where you wrestle. <laughs> then you had shows like, I can't remember which AWA show it was, but it was a joint adventure. Yeah. And they actually had the Bulldogs, the, uh, the British Bulldogs and the Rock and Roll Express on the same card. And right. it was the most confusing thing in the world because it was the first time I saw AWA, WWF wrestlers, and NWA wrestlers all on the same card. Well, I think they, they kind of like they, they, they played that up, but I think Bulldogs had just left WWF for yeah. a little bit at that time. Yeah. But yeah, they would, AWA and NWA would work together from time to time. And then eventually AWA started working with World Class and the USWA and that whole thing. That'd be like 88, 89, I want to say. Well, the other things that were very distinct in that time period was, and you don't have it anymore, you don't have people that are debating going, well, Roman Reigns is the real world's champion, and John Moxley, his belt doesn't mean anything. But back then, like I was huge NWA, and Dave, I know, was huge WWF. We would literally get into debates, even though we didn't know each other at that time. If you (laughs) believe, if you followed what wrestlers you had, you would get into huge debates over, no, Hulk Hogan's the real world's champion. Oh, come on. Ric Flair wrestles everywhere. It it was real. And and again, I'm a kid, so my logic was a little different back then. And I was like, I kind of liked the NWA and the wrestling did, but I'm like, I looked at him and I saw Ric Flair as a champion, and I'm like, oh, no, no, he's not very big. I already saw Hulk Hogan beat King Kong, Bundy, and Andre the Giant. Ric Flair would have no chance against this man because it was real to me. It was real. I'm like, I I wasn't necessarily a holy guy, but, you know. Which is why, to this day, Dave hates Rey Mysterio. No, that's not I hate Rey Mysterio. I would have loved Rey, I think, as a kid, but... I don't know if I would have thought like he would have stood a chance against like, you know, any of the people. I just want to because I, I again I believed it. You know, it was real, and I'd have been like, yeah, yeah. If they had booked Big Boss Man versus Rey Mysterio, that would have logically 
We would have struggled and with that. Another thing, too, and this is very unique, I think, Ric Flair and Dusty both had kind of the bleach blonde hair. It looked white to me as a child, so I just thought they were old. And I remember thinking, like, I like Dusty. He's a good guy. But, oh, he would never have compared to, like, Hulk Hogan or Jimmy Snooker. <laughs> they weren't real blondes like Hogan. Right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. You know? Like, <laughs> they looked old to me, and their heads were all carved up and everything. And I was like, oh, no. Like, these guys would never change a chance. <laughs> With that full head of hair, Hogan looked so young. I almost want to troll people right now because this is true, but I almost want to be like, I'm not like that guy. Like, I'm just whatever wrestling now, but I always think it'd be funny. Just like, they would never stand a chance against the great superstars of the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> a, a funny story from Dave's childhood um, that I'm going to share with you guys is his biggest fear at one point was for Hulk Hogan because he thought Brian Adias was going to come oh, yeah. with that deadly move that he had in world-class wrestling and take out Hulk Hogan. Which was a thumb to the neck. And <laughs> now, if you know the real story, years later we found out Kevin Von Erich was just, like, drunk and fucked up the night before, and he got hit and started, like, choking. So they sold it as, like, this devastating move. And I saw, wow, this guy can hit somebody with a thumb in his neck? He's going to take over the rest of wrestling. Like, wait till he gets... <laughs> then I realized years later, oh, no. <laughs> like, nobody's going to book Brian Adidas to be the world champion. The no funny thing mine. is, other wrestlers in the future did actually use that as a finisher and took sure. that move. Yeah, so Gordy. absolutely incredible, yeah. Yeah, Gordy used it. Um, However, Gordy was a six foot six, freaking 300-pound wrestler. Brian Adidas <laughs> was about five foot eleven and about 210 pounds. No, uh, and... The other thing, too, is, like, they would sell it, too. Like, Gordy went to, you know, the Far East and learned this whole... And we're just like, whoa, wow, he did? <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't believe that shit now. Like, you know, like, no, nah, man, I Google. Like, they're not doing that in China. Nobody's going around hitting people in the neck. <laughs> yeah, he, he made it once to Far Eastern Tennessee. <laughs> well, guys, I'm going to bring you another response from the Mothership Facebook group. Michael Adrian Dunin said, 97 or 99. 97 yeah. because I was a huge Bret Hart fan and loved the Canada versus USA theme. Yes. 99 because wrestling seemed to be at its peak of popularity and everybody was into it. I, I think would lean, I would lean more towards 97 because WCW mm -hmm. was at its best in, in that point yeah. also. So you had both really hitting on all cylinders with Bret Hart and what he was doing and then having WCW. Whereas in 99, you were starting to really see the cracks in WCW, and they were starting to fall apart. Well, Zach Grant says, I'd say everything between 97 and 2000, which I don't know if I'd say everything, but... No, but that 97 thing, like, I heard Mick Foley say this too. Like, WWE creatively was really starting to pick up steam, but it wasn't showing in the ratings necessarily yet. And, like, I think if you go back and you look at that Hartford Foundation run, and I'm talking about not Brett and Jim, but in 97, where it's Brett... Hillman, Bulldog, Owen, and Evo. And you look at how the reaction they got in the States, they were just vilified heels. And then the reaction they got everywhere else in the world where they were just so beloved. Like, I thought that was pretty novel at the time. Uh, I'm going to quote somebody who was pretty involved in wrestling at that time period, Eric Bischoff. And he was dominating numbers in 97 and in that time period. But he's the first one to tell you that the ratings are the most overrated thing that you can actually look at. 
that there is so much more to it than the ratings and when it comes to uh, what is going on in wrestling. And that when you look at how on fire, like you were talking about, Bret Hart was in that time period, that to me would still hold up today. That is something that you could go and do today and would still work until a point. I think MJF does a similar thing, to be honest with you. I agree. Um, I'm going to read a list real quick too, Joe. Uh, Mike Flynn, he sent me several years. 96, 97, 2000, 2002. Then 2013, and then 2019 and 2020 before pandemic. Uh, he said 80s and early 90s definitely was where I got super into it, but I, being so young. But he says in 2013, that's when he kind of really got back with the Shield, NXT starting to take off, AEW would come by later, and you know just a lot of stuff that's going on right now. Well, one of the things that people forget is that there are drop-offs in different times. Wrestling is very much up, up and down and ebb and flows. And it's not always necessarily the talent level, because if you look at some of the lowest ratings in wrestling, believe it or not, it's when Shawn Michaels was actually the heavyweight champion of the world. And it's nothing against Shawn Michaels in that time period. It just was not a time between the steroid trials leading into it and between everything going on. And we had a similar thing in the um, 2000s, where unfortunately, the time period between in the mid 2000 2010 started to slow down a little bit because it was so hot and then you picked up steam again like he was saying in 2013 which was a great time period but then it started to drop off again right and then once again it was starting to pick up again right before we hit the um pandemic and then of course we hit a pandemic (laughs) yes so so to his point all of those years are good years it's just it's such it's so easy to go, hey, the t- this is on the talent for not being entertaining during this time period. But sometimes the fans just get worn out, no matter how good the product is. Sometimes too much is too much. I don't know if it's fair anymore, that old school mentality of, you know, putting asses in the, on the world cha- champion. Yeah. No. I don't think it's this. So. Oh, I feel bad for Moxley right now because all the garbage that's going on with AEW behind the scenes, he's doing a great job as a champion. He's fantastic. Um, they've got very talented crew of wrestlers there, but A, I'm not sure Tony Khan knows what to do from this point on, and they've had such a problem backstage of keeping talent actually um, getting along, which is the opposite of what they started with. They started off like it was freaking Woodstock, for Christ's sakes, and they were all in love. Guys, I'm going inter- to interrupt here real quick. Breaking news, comedian Gallagher is dead. Oh. In fact, has been smashed by the watermelon. Gallagher too, still alive. I was actually going to say, was he going through the produce section and a watermelon fell on him? <laughs> I, I just That's heard that, so I had to interrupt. Sorry to disrupt the conversation. I really hope we go viral, and that was like the comments that we'll get most famous. <laughs> it was first broken here. Yeah, and then they smashed the watermelon on the motherfucker. Ah! Yeah. They're going to cut out who exactly died, and then they're going to make it like AJ said, something racist. Like, yeah, I bet a watermelon hit him. But let that's me exactly, you that's another, exactly what they're going to do to us. Let me bring you another list from the Mothership Facebook group. Harry Priest said, oh, Joe, yeah. you could have at least asked for our top five. Well, that didn't work the last couple of times, so that's why we changed it up. But maybe <laughs> next week we'll do the top five. But he said 92 for me, an mm-hmm. odd one for some, but it had the best rumble and the best war games. You have Steamboat and Rude tearing it up, Pillman and Liger, Piper and Hart, Hart and Davey. Plus the best of the Hart Michaels matches for me at Survivor Series at that point. He's not wrong. That's a good year for wrestling. Uh, I'll be honest with you. To me, 92 is the drop-off point. 
92 is where it actually levels out. And then 93 is where everything just hits the fan and freaking just drops. See, 92, I started to get into it again a little bit because that's when Flair made his uh, return home to the WWF. And he <laughs> well, 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 I think we can agree it's the first time in the history of the WWF that since Bruno San Martino that they had a real world champion. A real world champion. <laughs> <laughs> Now, let me see. Cordell Everett Jr. says, 1986, I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Crockett okay. Promotions was hotter than ever. I went to the Great American Bash, and I was able to pick up Mid-South, Florida Wrestling, and WCCW on cable. Okay, first of all, I'm going to agree with him. 86 is a great year for wrestling. However, to say they were hotter than ever is bullshit, because 85 was the best year in the NWA period. Um, (laughs) however i i love his um time period 1986 is a great year dusty Rhodes was on fire you had the um four horsemen that were on fire barry windham was fantastic that year you saw what a great young talent he was thank god they finally brought in lex luger to show everybody how to wrestle it's just such a great year for wrestling in the nwa so let me throw a couple after here real quick zach st john was a 95 to 98 guy he also loved 92 for the WCW Saturday Nights back then. Jake St. John was 95, 96. And, you know, he talked about 87, 88, but he said Nitro was so on fire between 95 and 96. And one other thing Jake added, which I this, this is not necessarily the year, but I thought it was interesting. He said nothing was better than getting the old PWI newsletter in the mail, and it gave you all the up-to-date rumors and spoilers of what was going on on our weekly results, and they were so great. And here's the thing. He's talking about the magazine, right? Yes. I thought it was the newsletter. He said the newsletter, but PWI is a magazine. Right. It is a magazine, but they used to have a separate newsletter because the magazine would be um, like three months behind, whereas the newsletter they would send out would actually give you stuff ahead of time. I did not know if they had a newsletter, but I will tell you. I'm 99% sure they had a separate newsletter. PWI newsletter. Well, I will say this. Jake St. John, he didn't talk about this, but I'll talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> he got his letter written. Sid was one of his favorite wrestlers, and he talked about how Flair never gave him a fair shot, and the Road Warriors were one of his favorite tag teams of all time. I um, could be missing a few things, but that is in there. Feel free to ask Jake about that. His his thing got printed. So He also on. talked about a sleigh that he had called Rosebud. However, that another magazine in that time period that you might have forgotten about is there was a magazine, Wow Magazine, which actually leaned more towards giving you spoilers and also leaned more towards ECW and stuff of that nature. So they gave you a different view on wrestling than your Pro Wrestling Illustrated or your um, other magazines of that it time. Wasn't, it's kayfabe. They'd actually talk about stuff behind the scenes. Exactly. It wasn't yeah. completely just uh, done in kayfabe. Yeah. Whereas PWI would just literally make up storylines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you, the results, like that section when they were giving the arena, like that meant something to me for a little while. When I read, like, oh, who's beating who? <laughs> you know? And then you realize that the same damn match happened on 20 different house shows after a while. You're like, okay, I see what they're doing here. So so my favorite thing in any of the magazines was always if they did a um, this day or this month in history or this day in oh, history. Yeah. I always like to go back through the timeline and actually see what had happened, whether it was 1937, 1956, and it would show you the difference in wrestling and you could actually see how wrestling had progressed through the years there you go randy oscar big fan of a while 
that was something in the 90s i enjoyed of the magazines was not only seeing the rankings of each federation and seeing who the champions were but also they would show state to state the different cards that happened so you could see how a wwe card looked from area to area or you could see who's wrestling the indies in a certain area they still do it to this day and I suspected as like at one point, I think like maybe in my teens, I was like, I remember thinking like seeing like the cards that would come to like just our shows, you know, like in Connecticut. And I said, is this the same show pretty much everywhere? And then you find out it really was like they might have a couple that different depending on the market here or there. But a lot of the matches were the same, you know, in all the different house shows. Oh, yeah. Two different singles might end up as a tag team on one card. Something could happen different, but for the most part, they were the same. But yeah, it was it was interesting to see. This discussion really got like a better response from people than I expected. We had thought this had dried up, but you talk about people's favorite years. Mike Clark says 1986. UWF and JCP were absolutely on fire, and this was can't miss TV for me every week. Continental had a very underrated year, good TV. Memphis had a good year highlighted by the Bill and Buddy show. AWA had a good year highlighted by the Rockers slash Rose and Summers feud and the Bachwinkle versus Hennig matches. Florida was down a little, but still had its moments and decent TV. World class was pretty forgettable. WWF was good, highlighted by Hogan Orndorff. And it was probably the first year that I actually got into WWF TV. And yes, I was lucky enough to get all of these promotions on TV in 86. So for that time period, it's amazing to get that much. Because I remember just getting WWF. And then when I stumbled on WCW, I was just blown away. I'm like, what is this? And Randy, we will not be going to AEW in Bridgeport next week. To be honest with you, if I had gotten all of that wrestling that he got, I may never have left my house as a child. Yeah, it's it's amazing, like, because I, I remember just picking up, like, the one federation, so to get, like, five or six different ones, and such varied ones, too, because WWF is one thing, but then you're getting the WCCW Southern style, you're getting the Memphis, the WCW, and really a taste of that territorial nature. I will tell you the first time I was disappointed in finding other wrestling. As I mentioned before... I was extremely happy when I discovered UWF Mid-South with Bill Watts. <laughs> I, I know where Dave's going with this. However, I was excited initially when I saw there was another UWF. And I was like, oh, man, it's back. My favorite promotion. And then I'm looking. I'm like, oh, names I recognize like Dr. Jeff Steve Williams. Be my aware. But for some reason, it was just a car wreck. And even I didn't know why, but... It would range from either boring ma- or stuff that didn't make sense. Like some referee who decided not to sell for Dr. Death Steve Williams one day. And I thought, this is kind of crazy. And the, the it was late, just, great Herb Abrams. Herb Abrams, yeah. He was just super annoying as a commentator. And I don't know. The show was a miss, despite the fact it did have talent. But it was not Bill Watts' UWF. I was disappointed. It certainly didn't have the... um. 
entertainment level that Bill Watts had. Bill Watts knew how to put matches together. He knew how to build up talent. If you don't think so, go and check out Junkyard Dog in the old Mid-South area. See what Michael Hayes did back then. I mean, you had fans that wanted to kill Michael Hayes for turning on Junkyard Dog and the Superdome in Louisiana. But that time period was just absolutely incredible. And unfortunately, Herb Abrams completely missed the boat. (laughs) That he did. Now, Kevin Petrie said 1984. I had been watching wrestling before, but that's at 10. That was the first year I got it and realized in the Knoxville area. I got lots of wrestling all weekend long. CCW, JCP, Memphis, and more. Salad days before I got smart and realized it's better when you still believe. One of the worst things that can happen to any wrestling fan is getting smart. When you get feel like you've gotten smarter than the product is when you start to not enjoy it as much. And it's a shame, really. Speaking of that, like in 1984, like again, we're going to be talking about this. When I look back at it, a couple interesting events that happened out of wrestling that year. Ken Patera and Saido got arrested. That was the McDonald's incident where Patera threw the boulder. And then... That was actually the same year, too. Like, man, we already had Hogan win the world title. All this crazy stuff happening. That was the year that uh, Dr. D. David Schultz slapped John Stossel as well for asking if wrestling was fake. So you weren't going to get sworn up by Dr. D. See, now, I don't know how you feel about the Dr. D, but I can remember being a kid, and I was actually happy he slapped the reporter. (laughs) I was like, that's right. You're going to ask that question? You deserve to get slapped. Good for you, Dr. D. I'll tell you what I thought about it. I was like, because again, I thought it was real. I was like, that man must have been crazy. Why would you ask such a stupid question? <laughs> oh my God. And Dr. D, now I will say this too Dr. D, David Schultz, I remember seeing some stuff with him in the WWF before for how long he was in there. And there were a few guys as a kid that scared me. Kamala at a spear. I thought he was going to use that and kill somebody. I thought for real that's what happened. Abdul, he looked crazy. I didn't, you know. But Dr. D, David Schultz, the way he talked, and they did a segment with him on TNT where he was, like, shooting off some guns and stuff, too. And I thought, this guy's going to shoot someone. <laughs> he's crazy. I had to go get my parents. I'm like, I, I think he's going to kill someone. <laughs> like, I was scared. <laughs> so I was one of the few kids in that time period that was not a Hulkamaniac. I leaned towards the heels. And I actually loved Dr. D, David Schultz. And now obviously we know what happened but in that time period i couldn't understand why he wasn't on tv i'm sitting here going why is not one why am i not getting to see one of my favorite wrestlers this guy's whooped everybody's ass why am i not seeing him go after hulk hogan so here's the thing and as much as i've put over like roman reigns's current run recently back in the day a lot of times and even now to a point i wasn't always a fan of dominant like title runs hogan was so dominant I still liked him because, yay, good guys win the good fight. That's right, brother. We're heroes, you know. But I always wanted, like, okay, maybe Jimmy Snooker could get a run. You know, I liked him. He did the flying Superfly Splash. Or, oh, maybe Mr. USA Tony Atlas, you know, like the way he could press people. And I always wanted Mr. Wonderful to be a good guy. When he was for a while, I was super happy. Yeah, I was just never, like, I, I didn't hate Hogan, but he wasn't my guy. Well, it also never logically made sense to me because they're not a tag team. Why the baby faces, why the good guys couldn't actually go for the belt. I was like, right. wait a minute, they're wrestling. They're beating all these people and they don't get a chance for a championship. What the hell? <laughs> You're an athlete. <laughs> like, what's going on here? <laughs> I was like, why, why does Tito Santana only get to go after the Intercontinental title? 
One more. Uh, I, know, I know Joe's a lot of talk here, but I just had to say, too, I don't know why he's reminding me. Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Loved him in the AWA. But, like, when he was going to wrestle Hogan, they had him have a couple, like, uh, time limit draws with guys like Bret Hart. And I ended up loving Bret. But at the time, Bret was a tag guy. And I remember thinking, oh, Mr. Perfect has no chance against Hulk Hogan. <laughs> this is going to be it. <laughs> and then he beat Hogan by a count out, even though I love Perfect, and I would go on to love Perfect way more than Hulk Hogan. At the time, I was annoyed. Like, wh- why is this guy, like, we can't have him win? Like, he's not that good. He doesn't deserve this. Why does this genius guy get to keep helping him? He won by a count out, too. Lanny Poffo. That one was just almost so comical to me as a kid. I'm like, well, we know he ain't shit. <laughs> Well, guys, we're going to wrap it up here because yeah. this was kind of the kickoff point to what we're going to talk about for the rest of the year. Obviously, December is always like our best of the year episodes, yeah. but we're also going to incorporate these best of the year talks. Now, we're yes. going to try something this week. We're going to put it out to you. And this is a little bit of an audible because we're going to do the five, three. We're going to do your top five favorite wrestling years. Five, yes. three, one. If we don't get any responses, we're going to talk 1984. So it's up to you. Either way, you're going to get something. But we seem to have such a good response that it's like, give us your top five years. Mothership, I'm asking you guys, come back with 84 because I know these new bloods ain't going to give me 84. Why don't Why don't we do something, too? Because we're going to do the 531 and we're going to do that with the um, years. Why don't we discuss whatever year wins that 531 the following week? We'll go in depth into that year. And then 84, suck my ass. <laughs> That sounds like a good idea. So guys, join us again next week. And we got we got some more stuff. We're cooking some stuff up for you. We might be getting rid okay. of that intro video. Joe, you cannot so, share AJ, with everybody. We're going to say it face-to-face here. We've been talking about it in different episodes. You've been shitting on our intro video. I spent a week <laughs> in the woods cooking up some shit to shut you up. And that's what we're going to do in 2023. That's the slogan. Let's shut up Strange Brew. I would like to point out we are not cooking up what most white people cook up. No meth here. Mm. Exactly. We got you, baby. So did you guys want to say anything else before we go out? I'm with Dave. I want to talk 1984. Guys, let's get this done. Vote for your favorite year. Let us know what your favorite year is. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm with Dave. Or don't That's another good way to get it. Yeah, if you don't <laughs> vote at all, you're going to get 1984. So if you're, one those, if you're one of those 1990s kids, or maybe you're the 2000s, and you want to talk about that, you better vote, because otherwise we're talking 84. Well, what I want to do, too, is like I want to take a year like 84 or something, and then Maybe we can break down a week. Give me the top five bad guys of 84. Give me the yeah. top five good guys of 84. You know? We Let's can talk. debate. Here's something we can debate. NWA versus WWF 1984. Which one was the better product? Which That's champion was the better freaking champion? Not. That's not a debate. Hulk Hogan, he had the muscles. Oh, you're out of your mind. <laughs> well, guys, as we always say on the Working Fans Podcast, you're going to get it one way or another, so we'll see you again next week. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82 Designs, 482 Designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82 Designs, at F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, 
go to four82designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's light years better than our first run. Also, like, divide the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2-Designs. Welcome back for a special interview on the Working Fans Podcast. Myself and the man called Dave, we have the opportunity to talk to the promoter, the owner of one of the biggest indies in the country. You can find them at Beyond Wrestling on Twitter, Beyond Wrestling on Instagram, the Beyond Wrestling Facebook page. And if you're looking for a website, beyondwrestlingonline.com, we are talking to Drew Cordiero, or as he is also known, Denver Colorado, the man, not the place. How are you doing today, Drew? Uh, dude, I'm pumped. We had a big show last night. Yeah. And I got back from vacation, so I was able to watch it on IWTV this morning, and it was great. It Was this the first show you guys were doing with the whole sponsorship program? This is the first week that we introduced the wrestler sponsorship program, and uh, it was it was a huge success. Uh, we had 15 wrestlers sponsored out of the approximately 30 that competed last night. And on top of that, we had the biggest turnout that we've ever had in wrestling open history with 296 fans buying tickets at the door. So it was overwhelmingly positive experience last night. That's amazing. Now, what is the where did the wrestling sponsorship idea come from? So the way that it works with wrestling open, this is very important, is typically Right. Fans buy tickets. They go to a show. The part that the fans interact and, and see that we try to the best of our ability to make just like a normal independent wrestling show. But infrastructurally, it's very different. The way that wrestling open is run, the way that it's different than beyond wrestling and pretty much any other wrestling organization out there is the concept is based on an open mic night. So instead of me reaching out to the wrestlers to book them on the show, the wrestlers sign up to compete on the show. Uh, and from there, you know, the wrestling open officials see a list of everybody that's available for the week and they put the cards together week after week. Sometimes we have seminars, sometimes we have tryout matches, but the groups are private. Obviously, we vet who's going to be competing, whether it's a recommendation from somebody else on the roster or seeing a tryout in person or seeing some footage. But we know that it's professionally trained athletes that are going to be coming to compete. But as a result, you know, with with Uncharted Territory season three, which we did last year in Worcester, um, I noticed that certain wrestlers were getting paid a premium and they weren't maybe as popular as some of the wrestlers that were just cutting their teeth or uh, they weren't promoting their appearances. And so wrestling open completely levels the playing field. Every single performer gets an equal cut of the gate. So if you're on the show, it doesn't matter what your level of experience is, how many matches you've had, everybody's participating. It's a team effort. Uh, where the wrestler sponsorships come into play is that when an individual athlete gets sponsored, they get taken out of the, the pool essentially for the gate split. So not only does that wrestler get taken care of with a guarantee from the sponsor, but now there's more money to go around for the other performers that don't get sponsored. So yesterday was a rousing success. It's it's the most any it's the most everybody's ever gotten paid for performing for wrestling open. And we had a, a large not only did we have a large crowd, we had a large roster to work with too. So given those circumstances, this is something we'll be doing every week. Really? That's amazing to hear. And it's good to hear that the whole idea behind it is to take care of the talent. Because I think a lot of times in wrestling, the complaint you'll hear is about the pay and about how people don't necessarily feel it's fair, but here 
it's set up in a way to be nothing but fair for everyone involved. Sure. And like when the idea was first launched, like some people kind of took it out of context and said, oh, this is a way for Beyond Wrestling, you know, to get away from paying talent. And and the idea was not to not pay people. It's just with the idea of a guarantee, you know, if, if one wrestler is commanding a $500, $1,000 fee plus a flight plus a hotel, you know, you have a certain budget that you have to work with. And that's other money that can't go to other performers that may be there week in and week out. So the idea was to try and find wrestlers, uh, especially in the early stages of their career, because we had people showing up every single week for free, not even to wrestle, just to set up the ring. And it's like, I can't put these guys and girls on uncharted territory because the expectations are different for a weekly super indie show. So let's come up with a new idea. And if everybody gets a cut of the gate, something's better than nothing. That was my thought process. I never thought that the platform would take off where we would have wrestlers like Wheeler Yuta or uh, Mace Aruga passing through because they were in town for another you know, promotion, wanted to do a seminar, make some extra money. And, you know, there's no special favors. Everybody still gets an equal cut of the gate. But they are passionate performers that then want to give back because they know what the Beyond Wrestling platform has done for them in the past. And since this is the new idea, they want to make sure that this platform is going to be viable for years to come so we can help the next generation of wrestlers. And I really like what you just said, like it's an open mic night. And it's just funny, like you said, like with convenience, because in like those laugh factories and some of those famous comedy nightclubs, you would have a, all these people start up. But you have like a Dave Chappelle who walks in sometimes just to hone his craft. So like you have real you to just, OK, I'm going to stay sharp. I'm in the area. And, you know, it's just it really is. It's just like the open night. I mean, the scene has changed, you know, if, if you want to work, this is the circumstances, but people sign up to be on. So it's not like, oh, I tricked you. And then, you know, it's a different right. set of circumstances. It's like, you know, the deal, if you want to participate, you can, if not, there's going to be other people that are going to want to participate. And we've seen wrestlers like Alec Price, Ichiban, Dustin Waller, Kylon King, Ray Jazz, <laughs> Ray Jazz, I got my Ray Jazz shirt on, <laughs> nice. uh, Fancy Ryan Clancy, Becca Little Mean Kathleen, Teddy Goods. I mean, the list goes on and on of wrestlers that have raise their stock exponentially by by participating Bobby Orlando Bryce Donovan by by participating with uh with Wrestling Open since we started at the start of 2022. Nice. Now, I started off with a different question than we usually hit him with. Dave, do you want to hit him with Old Reliable? Oh, sure, the old generic. <laughs> I think he probably any interview you've done. Were you always a fan? How did you break in? You know, what was your fandom like and what eventually got you to the business side? Now, this is a cool question. So I liked it growing up. And then, uh, like, I actually remember in, like, 96, one night I was watching it with my parents. And, like, Jim, it was when they were kind of switching over to plant seats for the Attitude Era stuff. And I remember, like, Jim Cornette saying some pretty negative things about Sonny. And I was just, I just remember being there with my parents and being, like, I'm kind of embarrassed to watch this, being, like, 11 years old. And I stopped watching for a while. I got really into hockey and video games. But when I went to high school, a lot of my friends were talking about wrestling. And, like, I, I was so into hockey, believe it or not. I know this sounds so ridiculous, but... One of my friends was like, well, who do you think would win in a fight, Steve Austin or Goldberg? I knew Steve Austin because I like like WWF. I thought when he said Goldberg, I thought he meant the referee from the Mighty Ducks. Like, <laughs> Why would those guys ever fight? And then it was like, no, Goldberg's a wrestler, WCW. And I was like, oh, this is like wrestling I've never even heard of. So my buddies were really into all of like the fringe activities that surround wrestling, like being on the message boards, doing the e-feds, doing the tape trading. And, you know, they were like, wow, you know, there, there's wrestling. It's it's on the indies. And I'm thinking to myself like, oh, I know they have wrestling in Japan. So, of course, they have wrestling in the West Indies, not knowing that it meant like independent wrestling. Like I was clueless. But my buddies were like, really like, OK, let's do like backyard wrestling. And then we started like traveling from doing backyard wrestling. And we went to the first Ring of Honor show in massachusetts and that was like an eye-opening experience i had went to college emerson college for 
a degree with uh, integrated marketing communications, emphasis on special event promotion. So I had the education to lay the groundwork for wanting to promote wrestling events. But where it really all kicked off is I kind of parlayed that into an internship with Kaiju Big Battle. And with Kaiju Big Battle, they were trying to expand more into a wrestling audience. Through that, I was kind of able to start working with Chikara. And at the same time, I was still kind of doing these backyard shows. And it was just weird. I kept coming across people that were professionally trained. You know, somebody like Jay Lethal was doing a backyard wrestling match. And it was just like, I don't understand. He's like a champion in Ring of Honor. Why would he want to go do this? And it's like, because when you go to Ring of Honor, like somebody's there telling you what to do. When you do backyard wrestling, you get to pick how you want to present yourself. You have the creative freedom. So I was like, okay. What if we take all professional wrestlers, we get a ring, we get a training facility, and what if we just do backyard wrestling, but everybody's trained? And that was kind of how Beyond Wrestling started. So that was in 2009. I had moved out to Ohio at the time with Ricky Shane Page. He was my roommate to kind of start Beyond Wrestling. We thought it was just going to be like a little side project to another promotion that was running shows out there at the time called Hybrid Wrestling. Kind of all stopped working together shortly thereafter. And it was two years before we started running our own live events. We did our first show in July of 2011 in Danbury, Connecticut. And even then, at the time, it was like, oh, well, you see companies like Dragon Gate USA and Ring of Honor and Chikara, and they're touring the country. So in my, in my mind, it was like, well, that's what we need to do. And then when we saw the success of PWG just doing monthly shows out of one venue, then that's when things really took off. And, and we found our home in Providence for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. We did our first American Rana in uh, July 2013. And it's it's been off to the races ever since. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see you guys grow throughout the years. Like I've collected the DVDs and you can see, I believe it was on, it might have been one of the old few DVDs, Biff Busick, Eddie Edwards. Or something like that. You can see like an old warehouse facility. Mm -hmm. And then you can see, I believe my buddy Scott told me about an American Rana you did at FET. Where a guy jumped from the balcony into the (laughs) ring, ruining the soundboard. And I'm like, I... I have to see this. And then getting to see you guys do a show at Electric Haze and then moving to where you are now with the White Eagle. I like that you guys really kind of you know, pick a spot and try and make that spot your home base and give it like a feeling. Yeah, thank you. And I mean, White Eagle has been incredible partners. And I mean, we're actually going to be launching a wrestling school with Ken Doan and Thomas Santel, who both competed for WWE. Um, That's going to be coming the the first week of January 2023. So now we're going to kind of be able to do something that nobody else in wrestling has is start people at the, you know, uh, the Beyond Institute of Pro Wrestling is the name of the school, Bio Pro Wrestling. Start there. And then with Wrestling Open, being that it's an open mic night, we do a lot of shorter matches. So it's a great platform for newer wrestlers to be able to get experience in front of a live crowd. Again, because the expectations aren't, oh my God, this is going to, you know, a PWG style show where, you know, there's expectations of seeing 20, 25 minute matches. It's okay to do a two or three minute match and kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work. Like you said, the open mic night in comedy, you kind of work on your material in front of a live crowd. Then we're going to be doing the monthly Beyond Wrestling Super Shows. That's going to be a more high pressure environment. There's certainly going to be higher expectations in terms of, the quality of the performances and uh, you know, there won't be as many performers. So that, that'll be a little bit more of a, of a premium event. But then on top of that, you know, we also are hand in hand with IWTV, which does international live distribution for independent wrestling, literally all around the globe. 
So then we look to our partner promotions. And at that point, there's only one place to go, and that's national TV. So it's awesome that we finally got this plan in place to be able to like basically start to start to finish in terms of a wrestler's career before they get to TV. Nice. Now, you've talked about it a little already, but when you started, what was the vision slash goal of Beyond? And how has that changed and kind of morphed as time's gone on? Well, it, it was about the wrestlers first and foremost. It was making sure that the wrestlers felt... What's the word that I want to say? Like a sense of ownership over what they were doing. I think when we introduced fans and started selling tickets, it became about <clears throat> making sure that we were putting the fans first and foremost. And I think the pendulum kind of swung a little bit into the direction of if we're, if we're making the fans happy, then maybe we're not keeping the wrestlers happy. And I think with Wrestling Open, we've really found that balance again, where it's when, when the wrestlers show up because they want to be there, what is it that they want to get out of their performance mm. that is going to help them advance their career but knowing that they also have to make sure that the fans are happy and that the, the fans feel like they're getting a good value because at the end of the day, if the fans aren't there to support, you can't, you can't go anywhere with your career. So the two comes hand in hand, and, and, and it's tough finding the balance, especially trying to find the balance with not only the people that are buying tickets, but also the people that are watching online. Because, there's, you know, as we discovered last night, there were people all over the world watching from Japan since we had the Gato Move tag team in. And... Uh, whether they were watching for the first time, I mean that that opens opportunities for even their opponents, Brother Greatness, Anastasia Morningstar, just to just to be in the same ring with uh, you know a, a Japanese Japanese wrestling stars. So you know again, when Beyond Wrestling first started, it was like, well, we're doing we we were doing shows without even having fans ringside. The wrestlers were just wrestling for each other. We were taping it, putting it mm -hmm. online. So it was, how do you want to present yourself so that if somebody sees this, you can get an opportunity as yourself? I'll give a great example. Somebody like Drew Gulak. You know, who had uh, a number of different personas and a number of different uh, kind of storylines in different places. But it was always kind of a wink and a nod presented as, as a humorous character. When he finally reinvented himself in Beyond Wrestling as the University City Stretcher, that's that technical style of wrestling that he made proficient, that basically set the trends for an entire decade. He was always capable of it, but he needed to be an ant or he needed to be a politician. He was never able to be this this technician in the ring. But when you come to Beyond Wrestling, it's like, hey, what do you want to do? And we're trying to get back that with Wrestling Open. Because, again, as the Beyond shows and the audience got bigger, it was, hey, this is how we need to format the shows in order to satisfy the fans. And now because the expectations have changed a little bit, because the format has changed, we can still put on a good show while allowing the wrestlers to present themselves the way that they want to. You know, a lot of the guidelines and the restrictions have to do with stuff to better prepare them for future opportunities. So, for example, you know, one of our rules is like no obscene gestures, right? Sometimes it gets broken, but if you make it to TV and you accidentally let an F-bomb slip, you're, you're going to get fined, you're going to get suspended, you might even get fired, you might get, you know, in trouble with the network. So those are the kind of things where it's like, okay, figure out how you want to present yourself, what it is that you want to do, but these are the restrictions. And I don't think that it takes away from the show. And I think if last night was any indication, we can really still give the freedom to the wrestlers while also making sure that the, the fans are, are getting a more than satisfactory, you know, between the energy, between the engagement. I mean, there's nothing like being at the shows live. It's cool watching on IWTV. IWTV does a good job. But to be able to be there in person, feeling that energy, there's no way that you can leave without a big smile on your face wanting to come back. That's how I feel. Yeah, and True. we've been to some of the shows. Like, Dave, we've been to the Fans Bring the Weapons. Oh, yeah. New Year's yeah. Eve shows that have been out of control. And it's 
like you said, it's one thing to watch it on there, but to be in the crowd, to hear how everybody reacts, to have to get out of the way of glass, <laughs> barbed wire, like things <laughs> like that. It's it, a Beyond show is an experience. And if you haven't been, you have to go. If you're in the New England area, there's no reason not to. And the fans are the show, right? After the show was right. over last night, I thanked everybody for coming. But this is the reality. The more people that come, the more elevated the energy in the room is. The more mm -hmm. risks that the wrestlers are willing to take to entertain, the better the show is. And then the better the show is, the more people are going to want to come. But it's like the chicken or the egg. You know, you have to have the fans there first. Once the fans are there, that's when the show is going to get elevated. And it's kind of off to the races at that point. But if people aren't coming, you know, you can only, you can only get so much. You know, it's just that the energy is something you can't quantify, but you can feel it. True. I think it's... It's interesting. I just wanted to say this because like it's it's business, but you're making it so simple in a lot of ways. Like just keep everybody happy. Find a way you get the fans happy. You get the people the sponsorship. Everybody gets paid, so we all get a little bit something. But now people are, their energy's up. They want to contribute more, and you just it's creating like this awesome work environment. Yeah, I mean it's hard, and that's and I mean that's what that's where it's an expert job between myself and the other people that put the program together. It's like it's really, really difficult keeping everybody mm -hmm. happy and trying to find and trying to strike that proper balance because everybody has their own ideas as far as what they want to do. Right. Um, you know, one of the best ways that I can put it is an individual show is like a book and then each match is like a chapter. So imagine a scenario where each chapter has a separate author because the wrestlers themselves are kind of working with their own material. That somebody needs to take all of those chapters written by separate authors and then make sure that there's an overarching story for the entire book. That's the really big challenge on an independent level, because if we're the ones that just are saying, hey, this is what everybody has to do every match, then everybody becomes interchangeable. There's nobody special. There's no, you know, when you have somebody like Bobby Orlando that comes through the curtain and he has his own custom theme song and he has this outrageous outfit and he's got his little stuff go and he seems a little off kilter and he's, you know, calling people bish and saying, I'm your mom. It's just like me describing that, it makes it sound corny as hell. When you see him in person and you see the performance and it all comes together, I can't tell somebody, hey, you know what, uh, you know, you actual Bobby Orlando, you know, this isn't working with you. You go do something different and we're going to take Brother Greatness and we're going to give him the Bobby Orlando gimmick. Bobby Orlando is Bobby Orlando. Brother Greatness is Brother Greatness. The attributes that make them special are the attributes that they came up with. And so we want them to be able to be genuine to themselves. And so that's a super important component of it. Now, you've had such great ideas through Beyond. You've done the weekly show. You've done, I mean, New Year's Eve shows aren't anything new, but Heavy Lies the Crown has set such a precedent. You, you've introduced Restable. Where do these great ideas come from? And are you nervous when kicking them off, like thinking they might not work? Well, I mean, because they've all seemed to hit. Especially the Restable last year. I mean, the Restable last year was really tough because you know, we kind of got hit with that third wave of COVID between... Uh, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. So they don't always hit, you know what I mean? And and that's one of the things that I try to be as transparent as possible with the fans. So they understand where their support's going. You know, if if we had a ton of money that we were sitting on, it's not like, oh, okay, haha, we're scamming the fans out of sponsorships and we're all getting rich off of this. Again, that's why I try and be as transparent as possible. The rest of them didn't do well last year. In fact, we actually uh, kind of waived all of the expenses for all of our partner promotions because we wanted to make sure that, you know, they would be down for the idea under under different set of circumstances. Is it a possibility this year that there could be last minute restrictions? Maybe it's not as likely as last year. Obviously, we want to keep everybody safe. That's the number one priority when running a show. If everybody's safe, then everybody has a chance to be happy. But all of these ideas always, it's never like, let's satisfy one thing. It's let's look at the entire list of 
boxes. And what is the idea that's going to check off the most? So when we do something with Restival, it's like, well, the fans in Worcester have been great to us at White Eagle. We get to bring some promotions to the area that have never been here before. That's special for them. But then we also get to have, you know, an American Renaissance show with Heavy Lies the Crown. Get to do it at the end of the year, as we were mentioning before we went on air. You know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that holidays are a great time to do wrestling shows. We do well with them. So now we get to bring a festival in conjunction with the end of the year when people have a lot of time off and, you know, they've got a little bit of money coming in from the holidays. There's not that squeeze that there's other times of the year. You know, we get to do a big streaming event for IWTV, uh, which is, is, you know, again, none of this is possible without. So it's it's always a situation where it's not like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to just do this one thing? It's like, how can we accomplish these 10 different things with, with one idea? And that's kind of how the ideas come together. And, that, and that's really, again, going back to, uh, you know, the, the origin of Wrestling Open. I was looking at all the things that didn't work with Uncharted Territory Season 3 last year. And I said, how can we solve all of these problems? These are all of the tweaks that we made behind the scene. And I think that for the people that come to Wrestling Open, I don't think it feels that much different than Uncharted Territory. Maybe there's a few more matches. I think the match quality, absolutely. Like when you saw Wheeler Uta versus Dustin Waller from last night, when you saw Best Bros versus Church of Greatness, eight-man tag that kicked things off. You know, there were some spectacular performances on the show. There might have been a little bit more matches and a couple shorter matches, but the energy stays up the whole time. So it's it's always, hey, what can we do to satisfy as, as many problems as possible? And those are kind of where the ideas come from. Nice. Now, bringing up COVID, I know Dave is fascinated with wrestling companies that ran during COVID, and he always has a question about it. So, Dave, uh, what are your COVID questions? Yeah, uh, interesting. Like, I mean, he taught, we've had people we've interviewed on this show before, too, where they're authors, right? Okay, so you're an author. Well, now you have a ton of time, and it can be really great, almost like, yeah, it sucks that this horrible thing's happening, but you can turn a negative into a positive. But for you... I mean, you have to run a venue. You know, you're not getting like ticket sales or anything. A, would did you think about, you know, like, okay, uh, do we want to quit? Or, you know, did that thought ever cross your mind? Or B, okay, hell no. (laughs) Like, where does the creative process happen there? Do you start thinking, okay, what can we do to get around this? No, I'm I'm a play it by the rules guy, man. I, I look growing up, I used to get in trouble for everything. I didn't take a pencil to class. I'd be in detention. It's just it's just my luck. Mm-hmm. I try and play by the rules. I, I think that uh, when there's restrictions, if you can figure out how to make it work within them, then you'll be even more successful when restrictions get lifted. I'd said to my some of my colleagues, I want to wait until a full month after somebody does the first show because i want somebody else to kind of be the canary in the mine shaft to uh figure out what some of these problems are going to be and we did a couple outdoor shows and then we were going to do an indoor show as the weather got colder and there was an uptick in COVID, and we had to cancel it and it sucked you know what i mean lost money on it it was it was it was bad some of the silver linings we saw a good growth on our youtube channel we saw a good growth with the number of iwtv subscribers during that period of time but it was you know at the end of the day wrestling is performances of of you know, that, that you need to be there in person to be able to fully experience. We did a couple tapings. Like I said, that wasn't unfamiliar to us for us to do shows without fans. That was that was something that we did voluntarily back in 2009, 2010, 2011, before we started doing events where we were selling tickets for paying crowds. That wasn't unfamiliar to us. It was a little bit of a bummer to see some of the other promotions on TV resort to it and act like they came up with the idea. But that's just how wrestling is. So when it came to the pandemic, again... The number one priority was keeping everybody safe. We did the best we could with what we had, but I think the promotions that decided that nothing was going to stop them. And keep in mind, too, New England had stricter restrictions than almost any other part of the country besides probably California. You know, we're not going to go take a show to Indiana 
to, to do it for maybe 50 or 60 people. We, we just, to me, that's just not something that made sense from a business perspective. It made more sense to kind of wait it out. And for the promotions that found a way to continue to, to press forward, I think that they did actually grow by leaps and bounds during that period because there were so few options. It took us from our comeback show in April, pretty much all the way to August, to pick up any sort of steam, and it was going to culminate with our American Rana event in 2021, and then there was a hurricane that day. That was an even bigger setback than COVID, because it was like, we've taken all this time and effort and energy and put all of our resources into kind of getting back to this one big show, and then everybody had to deal with the pandemic. Nobody else had to deal with the hurricane the day of their version of WrestleMania. That was a monumental setback. And I kind of feel like that was one of the reasons that we struggled with Uncharted Territory Season 3. You know, even still with, with the Beyond Wrestling Super Shows, I'm, I'm very happy with Wrestling Open as compared to Uncharted. The Beyond Wrestling Super Shows, I'm not as happy with as compared to where they were a few years ago. You know, when AEW and WWE are able to do events during the pandemic, well, their need for talent never changes. You know, we went from doing 40 shows a year to four shows in a year. I can't generate the same level of talent in, 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 even though it's over the same period of time if we can't do the shows. So, you know, all of our best wrestlers are getting picked up and it's like, who are we going to replace them with? You know, it's there's always that generational churn, but without us being able to do shows, it, it really put us uh, far behind. Do I have any regrets about taking as much time off as we did? You know, I, you can't regret anything. You just have to figure out what you can control and that's, and that's those decisions that you make going forward. That seems like a good way to parlay into my next question, because I'm just interested, like as a business person, like as somebody that pushes forward, how do you handle setbacks? Because you're going to encounter them no matter what. And when you're presented with a situation, how do you handle it personally? I will always get in my own head first, right? I don't know if that's just human nature or just an attribute specific to me where it's like, it's not, it's not, oh my God, this is the end of the world. It's just like, th these are all the problems that we're facing. And if we don't figure out how to make changes, the reality could be this could all go away. And I feel like I look at it from a realistic perspective. And when I have to tell my colleagues and peers like, hey, this is what we're faced with. Sometimes it comes off as negative or being dramatic. And maybe it is. Maybe that's the way they perceive it. It's not my intention. But I'm a the sky is falling type person. Well, if I'm telling you the sky is falling, what decisions can we make to make sure that the sky doesn't fall? Maybe the sky was never going to fall. But. If I believed it was, and we made the decisions to ensure that it definitely wasn't going to, I don't see anything wrong with that extra work, that extra level of preparation. So I will try and exhaust every single option. I know this sounds kind of crazy, but you know, it, it, outside of wrestling, I run food truck business. I just found out three weeks ago that my food truck has irreparable damage. And so I'm kind of left with a decision where do I keep my business going? Do I try and find another truck? and see if I can find somebody that can build it out. Is it something that I can afford? You know, there's a lot of different things that I have to deal with. And it's kind of like, well, I don't want to sound doom and gloomy, but the reality of it is it, I can't drive my truck. And if I can't drive my truck, I can't operate my business. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. But then it's like, you're left with all these different decisions. Do we pivot to a restaurant? Do we pivot to a ghost kitchen? Do we figure out a way to keep the truck stationary and do delivery only? You know, do we try and sell it? Can we go to another state and buy a truck? So just using that as an example, the same can be said and, and applied to wrestling, where there are always going to be setbacks. There's going to be whether it's when you lose a venue. It's always a loss of resources, right? You might lose a venue, you might lose talent, maybe a, a show bombed because you didn't sell enough tickets, weather-related stuff. I mean, we've had, we've had a lot of setbacks. But if you have the right people in the right places with the right partners that have faith, there's nothing that you can't achieve with hard work. And it sucks, right? Every time that there's a setback, 
I always look at it like, man, if this setback didn't happen, just think of where we would be. But you always kind of learn stuff from the setback too. And sometimes it's like, like picture like a level in an old video game, right? You get to a certain point and something kills you that you never encountered before. Well, you're going to get back to that point in the level and from getting from point A to point B, because you've already done that part of the level, you can get there faster. And now you're going to encounter the thing that's going to kill you. You can be a little bit more cautious. Maybe it kills you again, but now you can get from A to B even quicker the next time. So it, to me, it sucks. It's a waste of time, but it's inevitable. It's part of life. Now, I've got a couple more questions. Dave, do you have any before I jump to my last couple? Here? Yeah, uh, just because this obviously is so much of your time and then you have the food truck business too. What do you do to relax when you can? Is there anything Drew does just to like <laughs> kind of chill? <laughs> Yeah, dude, I work. That's what I like doing. That's what makes me happy. I'm, I'm, I get I'm, it. I'm nuts when I'm not working, right? You guys are the working fans. I'm, you know, yeah. I love working. I like going to restaurants, although that experience isn't really the same since the pandemic. But like, you know, I grew up in a family with great cooks. Like, I love home cooking, but I also like going to a place and just like being served and the conversation and the interactions that can come from it and just trying different types of food items. I love looking at menus. I'm always fascinated by like how menus are put together and, uh, you know, or people come up with the combinations of food offerings, pricing that kind of stuff out. I watch a lot of when I am, I don't watch TV much, but when I do watch TV, it's usually, it's usually the food network that's on all the time. I like watching cooking shows and stuff like that. I love driving around, but I love working, right? <laughs> I like working more than anything. My other business is that I deliver uh, Martin's potato bread out here. We have like a little, a little side hustle. I, I, and like the business guy and me, I was thinking like, Huh, if he was in my area, I'd probably be asking him, like, what do you serve? Do you need any rolls? You know, just <laughs> one of the best parts of Beyond shows, it's part the wrestling, but I'm not gonna lie, the food that you guys serve mm -hmm. is God, whether it's the like the fruity pebbles bars or <laughs> anytime it's Denver, Colorado's mom's cooking, I'm like, what do we got over there? I'll take two of that, one of that, and can I get a dessert too, please? Is yeah. Did that help with that integration? I think that it was uh, something that made Beyond Wrestling special when there were places like, you know, PWG and, uh, you know, like AAW, AIW, Wrestle Circus, Dreamwave, like that generation of indies. That was like one of those things. It was like, oh, there's home cooking at the show. Like, we got to try this. And then when I bought the food truck business from the previous owner in 2014, I definitely think that it helped us uh, make the jump in terms of having an established customer base. Yeah. Last couple questions I got for you. I love the commentary on Beyond Wrestling and Dave and I do a little post-production <coughs> commentary and I've been starting to listen to commentary with a critical ear. As like an owner, what do you look for from commentary, both from yourself and your partner that you broadcast with? You know, it, it's really hard because for a long period of time, I was the one that would kind of put together the shows behind the scenes, too, in terms of like, I guess, being head of creative or whatever. So it was, I just to me, it was just easy to do commentary because I knew the stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And I don't like produce wrestling open. I, I handle more of the, the business aspect of it. And there's there's other people that kind of put the show together. So when I'm doing commentary, it's more from the perspective of a performer. And uh, it's, it's really difficult. It's like extremely difficult to be able to have to pick up on the story and then like perceive it and then accurately tell it like all while, you know, talking and thinking at the same time. That's really, really tough. I love working with Paul Crockett. He's somebody that I hold it in very, very high regard. He's a well-educated individual. And he's also very passionate. He just, I don't remember if I asked him or if he asked me about doing commentary once. 
And then he ended up, it was just like, when I was doing the Beyond shows, I would just get so busy with so many responsibilities. And sometimes we would do like the old PWG style with like rotating commentators and the wrestlers command, and they would just kind of screw around and over, it would take away from the overall presentation. So it got to the point, it's like, we need dedicated commentators. And Paul was the guy to take the lead on that. And then when him and, uh, Sydney Baca Belga put together as a pairing. That was just like, that was like Gorilla and, and Heenan. They were just perfect. You know, they complemented each other so well. They're so different in real life. And it's funny. They just, it's it's almost like that uh, that natural animosity creates. I did a lot of commentary last night, if you can't tell. <laughs> that natural animosity creates like good chemistry. Mm-hmm. But then Bacabella, he manages now Channing Thomas. So when I can, I jump in the booth with Crockett. And it's it's a really, really, really tough job. I used to think like a few years ago, like, yeah, I'm great. This is, I should be on TV, blah, blah, blah. But now that we do a show where it's like, okay, but you got to remember, like, you got to plug this and then you got to, you know, touch on this upcoming date. So then when you have to start remembering the stuff that you have to shill on top of like the narration of just telling the story and stuff like that, it's like a lot of things to juggle. It's a really, really tough job. So, you know, for the promotions that have like an actual, honest to God, good commentary team, that is invaluable because we see how bad commentary can just ruin shows. It's 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 one of those thankless jobs, like being a referee, like being a camera person. Pretty much anybody that's not a wrestler, if you do your job, nobody's gonna say anything about it, right? You're never gonna get a compliment for it because you're 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 at the foreground, but you're a background player because people are there to watch the wrestling. But if you do a bad job, people will be all over you. Thousand percent. What advice have you gotten, either in the business or in life, that has served you the best? Would you say? Wow, that's a big one. Uh, you know, one of the guys that organizes the food truck event. So it's it's cool because me and him, his name's Eric Weiner. He does uh, PVD food truck events. We bond because he knows that I organize events and then he organizes events. So when I organize my events, I'm the event organizer when it comes to wrestling. But when he organizes his events for food trucks because I run the food truck, it's almost like I'm the talent. So I get to see it from both perspectives where he'll be like, hey, man tweet out that we've got an event today and i'll be like nah man like you already promoted it like people are gonna show up either way and it's funny because like i'll be up you know i'll be on top of the wrestlers like hey like you know it takes five seconds why don't you do it so i I get it from both perspectives to answer your question the thing he said to me is there's a difference between the way things should be and the way things are and that's something that i think about a lot especially coming out of the pandemic where it seems like a lot of places have taken a step back in terms of quality. It's like, yo, we're, we're like three years <laughs> removed from like lockdown, you know, two and a half years at this point. Like mm. you got to get it together, you know, and the places that don't are going to get replaced by the places that do. And I always think about that the difference between the way things are and the way things should be. Cause I, as much as I'm realistic, I always have that kind of idealistic approach where it's like, you know, well, if the sky is falling, what can we do to make sure that it's not going to fall? But what can we do to, like, make sure that the sky's perfect going forward? And, um, you know, sometimes you just have to be realistic. Like, this is the current situation. This is how it is. And, it, it, you know, as much as you want to work to improve it, maybe it's not going to improve. And then you have to pivot at that point. So even the start of Beyond Wrestling, I, it sounds so corny, but I, I would always say to myself, the, the four E's is excitement equals exceeded expectations. And I think the number one way to be successful in business is to manage expectations. Because if you can under-promise and over-deliver, you create value, not just perceived value. You create legitimate value. And when value exists, people are going to have that connection. They're going to want to spend money. So it's all about managing expectations. That's like the number one thing you do in in any walk of life, right? Your buddy says, hey, man, let's go to this party at nine o'clock. I'll give you a ride. He shows up at 1030. Might be your best friend, but you're going to be disappointed because you had that 
expectations that you were going to go. You might still have the best night of your entire life, but, you know, you expected something. So it's something as simple as that. Like, it's all about managing expectations. Thank you for joining us today. We are honored to have this interview. Plug whatever you'd like on the way out, especially the wrestling school that you've got on the, you know, horizon. Remember, they are at Beyond Wrestling on Twitter, Beyond Wrestling on Instagram, the Beyond Wrestling Facebook page, and Beyond Wrestling Online. Okay, so... We're going to be in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is town over from Boston, the day after Survivor Series. We're going to be at Arts at the Armory for Beyond Wrestling Motherload. That is presented by Rock and Roll Fables. That's Willow Nightingale versus Macha Slamovich. We've got the Righteous coming in to wrestle the Shook Crew. The Alley Cat and Effie's going to wrestle Teddy Goods and Little Mean Kathleen. We've got like a bonker six-man tag match that we signed. Cruel, who's the new IWTV champion, is going to be coming in. Matt Tremont's going to be there. There's going to be a tag match to, to qualify to crown the first independent tag team champions. So pretty big show. Alec Price is going to wrestle Ortiz from AEW. Becca's going to wrestle Akira. So limited reserve tickets on sale at shopiwtv.com. But we love coming to Boston. It's been, uh, we haven't been there since March. So, you know, and, and the venue is uh, Arts at the Armory is like acoustically, like naturally is like the sickest place to see a show. It just the energy is just absolutely magnified in that room. We've got Restable at the end of the year, nine shows in three days. All the information for tickets is at shopiwtv.com. But it's Pizza Party Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Open, ICW No Holds Barred, Blitzkrieg, the IWTV Special, Prestige Wrestling, Grind, Limitless, and then Heavy Lies the Crown. So nine shows, three days, all at White Eagle in Worcester, Massachusetts. And then in January, right, first week of January, we're opening the wrestling school, the Bio Pro Wrestling School, the Beyond Institute of Pro Wrestling, with Ken Doan and Thomas Santel. Class is going to start that Tuesday, so email beyondwrestling at gmail.com for that info. I'm going to get in Jake Rule. One extra question. What do you have planned for 2023 outside of the wrestling school that you can talk about? I got nothing. (laughs) I'm not worried about it. We'll nice. rest, well, we'll thank you for joining us. Forever. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll line up our monthly dates after that. I'd really like to do a wrestling open show, WrestleMania weekend in LA, because a lot of wrestlers like go out for the opportunity to work, but mm. a lot of places already have their shows put together. So it's like, okay, well, here's a show for all the people that came out. I think that would be really cool, but it's not planned yet. No, I'm gonna worry about the school first and kind of see what kind of relationships and networking we can do through that, and focus on wrestling open every Thursday. Schedule some dates for some super shows. I'd like to do American Rana big this year. In 2019, we did it in Foxwoods. And uh, yes. we did about 900 fans for that. So that was kind of a, a partnership, sold show type deal. I'd like to be able to do it all internally and try and try and reach that same height. Nice. Well, thank show. you for joining yeah. us. Stay after for a minute when we're done because we just want to say thank you again. But fans, we'll see you again next week. Have a good one. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 